Um, I want to begin uh, just by reflecting on where we're at. Um, two years ago, on this weekend, we had our first church camp, and we felt that we were really blessed to be able to have that camp because the next week we were told that we could no longer meet in the school uh, for church, and so we gathered here, some of us, to plan how we were going to do church from that time onwards. And that's exactly two years ago. And I doubt whether thinking back two years ago, we would have uh, thought that in two years' time, we were going to be having the week where we were most affected by COVID as a church. But that's been the last week in reality. Uh, we think that there's something, uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 people from Salt Church in isolation at the moment because of COVID. And uh, we remember that God is in control, God knows what he's doing and that he's a good God and that would have been a big message that we'd be looking at over the church camp as we were planning to look at Romans chapter 8. Uh, we'll be reminded of God's goodness uh, as we continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, God willing we'll get together in May and more people will be able to uh, join together for the camp than would have been possible on this weekend. Uh, so please be praying uh, for that. And uh, I think it's helpful to remember that we're not in charge. Uh, this is not the world that we control. This is God's world and he's bringing about his good purposes. So as we look at his word now, let's come before him in prayer and ask God to speak to us uh, through his word today. Our loving Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll give us insight into Jesus' words here in this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, please help us to be honest before you, not to pretend, not to hide anything away, not to rationalise our excuses, but we pray that we'll be willing to trust you with living your way, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to be looking at today in Jesus' teaching is extraordinarily radical. Uh, it's completely counter our culture as we experience it. And it's very challenging as to whether our worldview will shape our values and our decisions, our priorities and our choices. Uh, Jesus completely undermines the way that our world tends to value things and people uh, today. And we'll look at that. But before we get into it, I want to do a quick recap with you as to what has happened already in Matthew's Gospel. Because the danger is that we can kind of leapfrog into the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has a whole bunch of really uh, challenging things to say, and we can get it quite out of context. We can think, for example, as many people have, and many people probably still do, that a Christian is somebody who just keeps Jesus' moral teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but we have discovered already, as we've looked at Matthew's Gospel, that, that a Christian is somebody who's very, very different to that. And I just want to highlight that as we reflect on a few things that we've seen in Matthew. So it's a number of weeks back now, but we looked at the genealogy in chapter one, uh, the uh, heritage, if you like, of Jesus. You go back to Abraham and God promised to Abraham. You go back to King David and God made promises to David. And what you see in Jesus is that he's the son of Abraham and the son of David. And through the first few chapters of Matthew, we are reminded that Jesus is the answer to all of God's promises. He's the one 
who is God's promised Messiah. Uh, God is the one who promised that he would come amongst his people and here he has. We see in the Christmas passage, if you like, where Mary and Joseph are being told about the child that they're to have, that the baby is to be given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then we're told just straight after that, that this is to fulfill what God had promised in Isaiah, that the child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you see, in chapter one of Matthew, we're being told that God's gonna turn up, and he has, and that when he turns up, he will be the savior, saving people from their sins. So let's not jump straight into the Sermon on the Mount and think it's about morality. No, we need to realize that this is a new life for people who've been saved from their sins. So this is for people who put their trust in Jesus and they've recognized that Jesus is truly their God. And then what we see from the beginning of chapter three with John the Baptist and then Jesus uh, following after John and calling people to himself is that Jesus is calling people to enter into a kingdom. And it's not a historical geographical kingdom. It's, it's not like uh, Iraq or Persia. It's, it's not like Syria or Arabia. It's not like Egypt or Israel. Now the new kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom where Jesus is the king. And God is, through Jesus, gathering people to be part of this new kingdom with Jesus as the king. And what we see from the first followers of Jesus is that they are called by Jesus to enter into the kingdom which is near, the kingdom which has come, and to recognise that Jesus is the king in that kingdom. And so as we think about this, I want to put it to you. Do you know that Jesus is God, come amongst us to save us in fulfilment of all the promises that God has made? Have you accepted Jesus' call into his kingdom? And the radical thing about entering into Jesus' kingdom is that now you have one who rules you. And he rules you for your good. Have you come to the point where you have responded to Jesus' call to have him as the king in your life? Because if you have, what Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount is the lifestyle for people in the kingdom. You see, Jesus has made it very clear as he starts this teaching that being in the kingdom is the greatest blessing that you can have. Remember how he started this Sermon on the Mount back in chapter 5? Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. And, and blessed are people who recognise that God's kingdom is what matters. It's what matters above all else. It's what matters most. That God's kingdom is the main thing. If you recognise that, then you will be blessed. Now that's the context for what Jesus is going to say. That's the if, if you like. If these things are true, and I believe they are, if these things are true for each of you, and I hope they are for you, then this is what follows. This is the outworking of life in the kingdom. So look at what it is that he says. And I want to look at this and as I do so, raise three kind of diagnostic questions. 
for how this is impacting us today. Listen to this. We'll just recap these verses. There aren't many. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what Jesus is doing is he's saying there's a dividing line around values. What do you value? If you're in this world, then like most in this world, you probably value the things in this world. The things that we accumulate, the things that we experience, the things that we can gather for ourselves. In fact, this is a world that is heavily committed to providing for self now and into the future. You look at the measures of people in this world and you have things like GDP and, and you look at the rise and fall of money versus uh, various goods and services. You, you look at whether the dollar is doing well in one country versus another country. You have ads on TV all the time saying that you've got to put money aside from your super and if it's not a fund that looks like this, then it probably means that you're not earning as much as you could be earning. And so now's the time to make sure you're maximising what you can get for yourself. And it makes abundant sense. It, it makes so much sense to gather all you can for yourself here and now if this kingdom of this life is all that you have. But it makes no sense at all if you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus points this out quite dramatically. He, he says, if you base your treasure, if you're investing in the things in this life, they are the things that end up being temporary. Moths and rust destroy them. I was interested to read that, that it says here in my new NIV that moths and vermin destroy. Because I'd always assumed it said moths and rust. And I went back to my old NIV and it said moths and rust. And I went to other translations and it says moths and rust. And I like moths and rust because it's so true. I live in view of the beach. Everything rusts. If I want to put my value in things that I can gather for myself, I better lock them away where nobody can see them and where the air can't get in because they're just going to rust otherwise. But it's highly likely that vermin is probably a more accurate translation. Because if you think about an agricultural world that wasn't necessarily immediately on the coast getting the surf spray, then it's more likely that moths eating the crops and crickets and locusts and grasshoppers and other vermin destroying the crops. When the agriculture is the measure of your money and your wealth and your income, by putting your grain into silos, you're protecting for your future. And then we see the plagues of mice that we saw in Western New South Wales last year come in and destroy it. You think, what a hopeless investment. Well, take that and think about what this world says to invest in. Whether it's to invest in houses. How do you think the people living in Kuwait, sorry, in, um, in Kiev and other parts uh, of that country are finding these words at this time. See, for people whose only treasure in this world is their home, their car, their job, their community, it's just been decimated by the hour. 
But we read of Christians gathering together in the basements of churches, Christians who've stayed back to help those who are injured and those who are, who are needing to be evacuated, and, and these in the Ukraine who are struggling in so many ways. Christians, you know, their treasure is not in their house, it's not in their car, it's not in their job, it's not in their, whatever it might be in this kingdom, it's actually in the kingdom to come. And I think it's a great challenge to us. And as we've seen the pandemic decimating countries, economies, um, health systems, how it's been impacting all kinds of things, people losing their health, people losing their jobs, people even losing their lives. As we think about what matters most, it's not the things that you can gather up. When you look at Lismore and, and Grafton and Brisbane and the Gold Coast over the last couple of weeks, people losing every every single part of their belongings. You see, if we want to put our treasure in these things, then they will be taken from us. I've said this before, but bear with me if, if you're hearing me say it again, but I've actually memorised, um, in, in the um, Business Review Weekly, once a year they have the top 200, and they, uh, they have a list of all those who have died in the last 12 months and it's one of the big in fact it is the biggest selling business review weekly magazine of the year people like to know who's the top 200 but it also has a list of those who died and i've memorized everything that those people have left behind it's easy it's everything see if we live for the things of this life if we store up things for ourselves if we think that we can take it with us then we're deluded and therefore, I take it, if we believe in an eternal kingdom, if we live for things that are temporary, then we are likewise deluded. We're actually investing in something that is a figment. It's a haze. It's a vapour. It's, it's gone. Well, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are we investing in? Are we investing in eternity? Do we value the things that can never be taken from us? Relationship with God, other people's relationships with God. Growing in, in godliness and love for others. Maturing in trusting God through all kinds of circumstances. Keeping our hope not in the things in this life, but in the life to come. That's to put your treasure in heaven. Well, the next paragraph is a little bit more enigmatic, I think. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's Jesus saying? Well, let me give you two tips. The first tip is probably the most important one, and that is when you are confronted with something that you don't understand in the scriptures, and at first glance I don't quite get this, have a look at the context. Read what comes before, read what comes afterwards. We've seen what comes before, look at what comes afterwards. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the, the next paragraph 
is connected to the first paragraph, isn't it? Treasure in heaven, can't serve God and money. Um, you, you've got to choose. Therefore, I think it's highly likely that what Jesus is saying in the middle here is in step with what comes before and what comes afterwards. That the eye has something to do here with understanding our attitudes towards what treasure is and what treasure isn't. That's the first tip. The second tip is to see if these ideas occur elsewhere in the Bible. And um, they do. And I want to point out, notice in your handouts, I've given you uh, a quote from Proverbs chapter 22. This is how the ESV Bible uh, has Proverbs 22 verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful or good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Um, now, the NIV takes that image of the good eye or the bountiful eye, and instead of just translating the words, it gives us the meaning. And it says, For the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So, I hope you stay with me through this because when you come back to the eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are healthy, the idea there of being healthy or good is that of being generous. You can see the same, well you don't know that it's the same word, but trust me in this, it's actually linked to the same word there in Proverbs. So, what he's saying is if, if the eye is the lamp of the body and your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy or stingy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the implications of having treasure in heaven, Jesus is saying, is that it leads us to be able to be generous here and now. Because what can't we give away? What can't we do without? What do we have to hang on to? What matters more to us that we can't offer it to those in need when Jesus is making it very clear that the kingdom in heaven is where true treasure lasts? And this is radical. Because this means that we are freed in Christ by being part of the kingdom of heaven that can never be taken from us to be able to part with things that we're never going to be able to keep. That is, we can be generous with our homes. We can be generous with our money. We can be generous with our time. We, we can be generous with our possessions. We can be generous when we see people struggling and in need. You, you may remember that uh, if you get the email that we send out weekly from Salt, that last week we put some links to particular places and particular ways that if you were moved to give to those who are in need, you could do so. Two of them, I think, were to give to those who are doing ministry supporting people in the Ukraine, whether it's the Samaritan's Purse that are setting up hospitals uh, or helping with the refugees, whether it's uh, funding those who work with the persecuted church, like the Barnabas Fund, or whether it's providing uh, support structures and needs to those uh, through the Bible Society. There are also links there that would help us to provide for those who are engaged 
in helping relief to those through the floods. See, we're actually able to think about this from a kingdom perspective. To think, okay, what do I have that could be used to help the poor? What do I have that could be used to help those who are suffering? What do I have that could be used to help promote the gospel of Jesus? And not to think, look, I've got to hang on to this because this is about me investing in my future. God's got your future covered. It's a future that's secured into eternity. And that enables radical generosity. Let me give you a a specific on this one. Um, Some of you will know Nathan and Katie, who have come to be part of our church over the last few months. Katie has begun doing ministry at the university with AFES. She is required to raise all of her own support to do that over two and a half days. And so far, enough support has come in to enable her to do that for a bit over one day per week. And there's been a little bit of support that's come through from SALT, uh, I understand. Katie's home church is actually in Lismore. Katie was planning to ask a good number of friends to support her from a church that is preoccupied with helping those who've lost everything at the moment. So let's kind of think about this from a kingdom perspective. Do we have something that would actually help Katie that would help the church in Lismore? Well, yeah, if we support Katie, then those who are unable to, who might love to, who are at this point working through helping their neighbours and their church and their friends and their families and coping in their need aren't being drawn upon so much. Just an equation to think about, but it's a kingdom equation. It has to do with us being given much. And then finally, uh, or let me, let me just ask the, the diagnostic question, how is your vision, or in other words, how generous are we, or how stingy? The third thing, let's look at the third paragraph. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't think affluent Christians like me believe this very easily. Because we hear the message of Be prudent and be sensible and be cautious and provide for yourself and make sure you've got what you need coming to us all the time. And we also hear the message, God's got it covered. God's kingdom is eternal. God knows what you need before you ask. Uh, Put your treasure in heaven and have eternal priorities. We hear that on the other hand and we just want to hold the two together. We just think that, yeah, I'll I'll trust God, but I'll also trust my bank account. Or I'll trust God, but I also will trust the fact that I've got a salary at the moment. Or I'll trust God and I'll trust the fact that I've moved my shares into another portfolio, which is a lot more stable in the world that's now going chaotic. Or I'll trust God and I'll trust the fact that I now own my own house. Or I'll trust God and I'll work my butt off to own my own house. And it's not that there's anything wrong with owning your own house or having shares or having money in a bank account. It's about where we trust 
and where our security will be coming from and therefore whom we're ultimately serving. And it's a, it's a hard thing, it's a subtle thing, it's a, it, it's a tension I think within us, a tension that probably people in much, much, much poorer communities don't experience the way that we in a middle class affluent community do experience. Now it's not to say that, that wealthy people struggle with this and poor people don't, or that the middle class people don't struggle with these things. We all struggle. There's the danger of wanting more if we have little, of wanting to hang on to what we've got if we have more, of aspiring to the idea that if I only get a little bit more then I'll be content. And we won't. But we need to hear Jesus' words in black and white, that is, you can't serve two masters. And to realise deep down that if we are focused on only looking to security in this life, that maybe it's drawing us away from serving God. Or if we are serving God truly, then we can be liberated from worrying about so many things, and we'll see this next week. Things like what we eat and what we wear and where we live and what we drive and, and, and so on. You cannot serve two masters. I, I know it's really difficult, but he doesn't say it's really difficult to serve two masters. Like if, if you've ever had two bosses, or, or you, you've kind of been responsible to a manager and, and a sub-manager, and they're not seeing eye to eye. You know that it's, it's a horrible experience. I had friends who've had um, two different PhD supervisors with different perspectives on how they should be doing their work and, they're, and they're, they're pulled this way and that. But Jesus doesn't say it's a difficult experience. Just work at it, you'll make it. He says you can't. And, and I've got to hear that. Jesus is just saying you can't do it. Because if you're serving stuff, money, and it's not like Scrooge McDuck diving into a big vat of money. None of us actually love, I take it, the coins or the notes or what we see on the page in the bank statement. It's not a, a kind of love of that. It's what that gives us. It's the opportunities. It's the power. It's the supposed security for the future. And I reckon we've learned a lot, enough lessons without even opening our Bible over the last two years to know that we cannot secure our future in this life through money or what money can buy. And Jesus is just telling us way back 2,000 years ago, as it is, don't even try to serve both God and money. I think serving money is ultimately serving self. And you can't serve self and God at the same time. So friends, it's a challenging set of statements from Jesus. Um, so who are you choosing to serve? There was a guy called Jim Elliot. He died uh, as, uh, as a missionary before he had really even begun his mission work. And his journals are available today. You can actually read the diary of Jim Elliot. And he's famous for writing this in his diary. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Money, houses, cars, degrees, experiences, travel, possessions. No fool who gives up what you cannot keep. You can't keep any of that stuff to gain what you cannot lose. And that is relationship with God for all eternity. One day, if not today, that will become for us absolutely crystal clear. The blessed life is to discover the reality of that now. Because then the rest of our life can be transformed by it. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, just speak this into our hearts, we pray. Help us to appreciate that you can be trusted that your ways are the only way. We thank you for Jesus, that he poured out his life to save us. And we thank you that you raised him from the dead to give us hope for all eternity. And we pray that our hope will be in that eternity that you've given us in Jesus, that our treasure will be in heaven rather than in the things of this life that lure us and seduce us and tempt us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.